Uh, thank you so much for being here. Good job navigating the, the continual change of locations. That's going to be mostly over now. Oh, that's, that's nice. That's good. Uh, I, I'm just so glad uh, for this night to come each week. I'm so glad to get to see uh, uh, in a room that there is this community on campus of people who are trying to figure out what it means that God loves us. You're trying to figure out what it means to, to love him back and to love each other, to love this campus. So that's what we're doing. That's what we're about tonight. And, and one of the ways that we're doing that this semester is this series in the Gospel of John that we're calling Jesus Gives Us Life. We, we talked last week about Jesus' first miracle, the changing water into wine at the wedding, and about how Jesus gives us a life of joy. Today we're going to look at a, another story that you're probably familiar with, the story of Jesus encountering the woman at the well. And we're going to talk about how Jesus, in the midst of our shame, gives us a life of worship. Uh, if, I want you to take a second and look at your handout at how long this passage is. Just take a second, look at it, take a deep breath, get over it, for now we're going to read it. Uh, if, you, if you do have your handout or your Bible, we're in John chapter 4, reading verses 1 through 30. It is, it is a little bit of a longer, longer section. Uh, please read along with me, it's just a fantastic story. Uh, I just couldn't help but read the whole thing because it's so beautiful. So this is John chapter 4, verses 1 through 30. Now, when Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus was making and baptizing more disciples than John, although Jesus himself did not baptize, but only his disciples, he left Judea and departed again for Galilee, and he had to pass through Samaria. So he came to a town of Samaria called Sychar, near the field that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there. So Jesus, wearied as he was from his journey, was sitting beside the well. It was about the sixth hour. That's noon. A woman from Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, Give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, How is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw water with, and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and his livestock. Jesus said to her, Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. Jesus said to her, Go call your husband and come here. The woman answered him, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, You are right in saying I have no husband, for you have had five husbands, and the one you have now is not your husband. What you have said is true. The woman said to him, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshippers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. 
The woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming, he who is called Christ. When he comes, he will tell us all things. Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. Just then his disciples came back. They marveled that he was talking with the woman, but no one said, what do you seek or why are you talking with her? So the woman left her water jar and went away into town and said to the people, come and see a man who told me all I ever did. Can this be the Christ? And they went out of the town and were coming to him. This is God's word. It's absolutely true. He gives it to us because he loves us. You pray with me and then we'll get started. Father in heaven, thank you for the gift of this night. And thank you for your word which speaks to us, which challenges us, which encourages us, which inspires us. I pray that you would send your spirit to be at work through it right now so that we might love you more and love each other. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, I have a friend, we'll call her Holly, and Holly is one of those people who just really hates to exercise, like just doesn't like to do it. Uh, some, some of you love to exercise, you love to work out, so this person does not, does not like to exercise, but for some reason, uh, a few years ago, this person decided to run a marathon. I, I don't know why, I didn't understand that part of the story when, when this was being told to me. They decided to run a marathon, I think they liked the challenge of it. I think they wanted to see if they could do it, but uh, as you can imagine, if you've run a marathon, I'm sure some of you in this room have, it takes, a, it takes a lot of dedication, a lot of hard work, a lot of effort to train diligently for that kind of race. And, and of course, it takes an, an incredible amount of effort to complete that kind of race. Well, this friend, because they don't like to exercise, because they hate running, didn't quite put in all the effort that maybe they should have. And so they get to the race. They were running the uh, Nashville Music City Marathon, which some of you may have run. Has anybody run that marathon in here? Oh, all right. That's awesome. Okay, so like, correct me if I'm wrong here. Okay, I, I have not run it myself, uh, but but it's it's cool because there's there's bands that are playing throughout the city, and there's parts of the race where you go, you're going through neighborhoods, and and the way the story was told to me is that there's this sense of people are almost tailgating for it, so people are out in their yards and they're they're listening to music and they're watching the runners go by and they're cheering for them. Well, this this friend gets out there and they start to run, and they and they hate running, and they're running a marathon. And they run that first mile, and they run that second mile, they run those first five miles, and they get to like mile nine. This is out of 26.2, right? Out of mile nine, and they're just out of gas. They're just done running, and they start, and they start to walk. My friend Holly starts to walk. Uh, and if, you, if you're running in a race, you know, it's kind of, some people are running faster, some people are running slower. It kind of, kind of spreads out over time, and eventually you're running around people who are running about the same speed as you are. Uh, but when you start to walk, it's pretty, it's pretty embarrassing because people start to go past you. And maybe even some of the people that you passed when you were feeling spry on mile four, now they're smoking you on mile nine here. And, and this friend Holly got to a section where they were going through a neighborhood, and there were people passing her, and there were people in their yards cheering for the runners. And this is a pretty embarrassing situation because it's only mile nine. <laughs> There, there's a lot of there's 15 more miles here to go. Okay, a lot more race. People are passing you. People are cheering, and you're just walking. You just look kind of weak. You look kind of frail. You look like kind of a failure. So what this friend starts to do is they come up with this great idea of uh, pretending to limp, and so they start to like walk and like limping the way you would if you had gotten a minor ankle sprain, like while at the water station doing something, you know, with finesse and athleticism. They start to fake a limp. My friend Holly. And so, uh, as you can imagine, I, I, I like people were probably cheering more for her. Like, oh, way to go. Like, you're hurt and you're still going to finish this race. That's amazing. Way to go. What's, what's she feeling in that moment? She's feeling shame. She's feeling embarrassed. 
she, she's encountering her own vulnerability, her own weakness, her own shortcomings, and she's doing exactly what you and I do when we experience those things. She's, she's trying to hide it. She's trying to invent and fabricate some kind of circumstance, something to do in the midst of her shame to hide it so that no one else can see. When, when we come to this, this story of Jesus and the woman at the well, what we see is an encounter between Jesus and a woman who is walking in and experiencing a life of deep, deep shame. And we can really all relate to this. Shame is that feeling that makes you think, could anyone ever really love me if they knew the truth about me? Shame is that is that feeling, that thing that makes us have this desperate, urgent need to try to fix things, to try to make things look okay, to try to hide what's really going on inside with a picture on the outside. This is what every one of you first years is doing in the past month. It says, everything is great, everything is fine, I'm awesome, I love Washington and Lee. We're covering up our weakness, we're covering up our vulnerability, we're, we're covering up our shortcomings, we're covering up our failures and our mistakes. And, and the metaphor that we get in this passage is thirst. Thirst. To be thirsty. To be parched. To be in desperate need of water. To be in that situation where you are feeling vulnerable. You are feeling needy. It's it's to be thirsty. One of the incredible things about this passage is that Jesus himself connects to us by being weary and thirsty himself. Of course, he's not experiencing shame, but he's showing us his soft side. He's showing us that even he as an actual man needs rest, needs water. We all have need. We all have shame. And the question that is, that is a challenge to us in this text is, what well are you dipping your bucket into to try to quench your thirst? In the midst of your need and your weakness and your vulnerability, where are you looking for water? What are you looking for to quench your thirst? We, we look to... The, the accomplishments of academic achievement. We look to relationships. We look to alcohol. We look to sex. We look to our reputation. We look to our bodies and what we look like. We, we look all around to different things in our life to try to quench this thirst, to deal with this need that we have, to deal with the weakness and the vulnerability that we have. The claim of the Bible and the claim of the gospel is that when we look for life in Jesus... When we dip our our well into the water of his life and his love, that is actually the place where we find that our thirst is quenched, is satisfied, is fulfilled, is made beautiful, is healed, is restored, is forgiven. That's actually where we experience life. And this happens through everything that Jesus does for us, not something that we do ourselves. And so what I want to do tonight is I want to look briefly at what this looks like, what the work of Jesus looks like in the midst of our shame. And we'll see three things tonight. First, Jesus seeks us in our shame. Secondly, Jesus sees us in our shame. And then thirdly, Jesus satisfies us. Jesus seeks us, sees us, and satisfies us. So first, in the midst of our shame, Jesus seeks us. It's actually pretty shocking that Jesus is actually even in a position to have an encounter with a woman like this. If you've, if you've ever heard anything about this story, there's all these obstacles, all these reasons why it doesn't make sense for Jesus to be having this conversation. The, the first thing we learn is that is in Samaria. Jesus has been uh, in this situation where people are arguing or debating in the community in Judea about who's baptizing more people, him or John the Baptist. And he, so, it's so important to him to avoid even a, even a sense of competition with another lover of God 
that he just leaves. And, and it's, you know, the, the translation we said says, says, and he had to go through Samaria. He did not have to go through Samaria. Uh, the Jewish people did not like going through Samaria. They did not like the Samaritans. This is a, it's an offshoot religion. It's sort of a, a side sect of Judaism that they have their, their own traditions. This is a, a people group that are descended uh, along a different line. So it's, it's a different ethnic group. It's a different religious group. And it's one of those communities where there's just fear and mistrust and dislike between the two groups. They did not socialize together. They did not worship together. They did not eat meals together. They did not talk together. You would not find a Jewish person and a Samaritan person in relationship with each other. It, it would never happen. So not only that, she's also a woman. And in this day and age, a man and a woman don't just talk alone by themselves, ever. And certainly not a leader of the Jewish people, a rabbi. And, and then thirdly, what we're going to see is that this is a woman who's not just any old woman. Uh, she is in a bad, bad way. This is a woman who's actually an outcast in her own society, who's actually been rejected in her own society, who actually is living a life of desperation, of intense and deep shame. We're going to talk more about this in just a minute. And the beautiful thing, it is that uh, Jesus sees someone who is a minority, who's from a different group that his people mistrust, who's a woman, who's an outcast and a reject, and what does he do? He, he goes to her. None of those things stop him from seeking her. She is even shocked. His disciples are shocked at the end, but the, the woman says, how is it that you, a Jew, are asking me for water? It doesn't compute to her. This is actually a beautiful thing that Jesus does for her. He is saying, I need help getting water. I need you, a broken, rejected Samaritan woman, to help me quench my thirst. Do you believe that in the midst of your shame, in the midst of your mistakes, in the midst of your hurt and weakness and inadequacy, that Jesus wants to seek after you? That he has a tender heart for you? that he cares about you, that nothing in your story, nothing in your life can deter him from wanting to come to you and establish a relationship with you? Do you you believe that? This is the message of the gospel, that nothing can deter Jesus' desire to seek after us and to establish relationship with us. In the midst of our shame, no matter what it is, Jesus seeks us. He wants to know us. He wants to connect with us. Jesus seeks us. The, the second thing is that Jesus sees us. I, I, we're going to circle back and talk about this conversation about the water, like real water versus living water, in, in just a minute. But, but I want to talk about um, verses 16 and 19. This, this is where Jesus is having this conversation with a the woman. They're talking about water, and all of a sudden he says, uh, go and get your husband and then come back and talk to me. And she says, I have no husband. And he says, oh, that's right, you don't, do you? You've had five husbands. And now you're living with a man who you're not married to. What you've said is true. (laughs) Jesus sees this woman, and when he sees us, and when he sees her, he sees everything. (coughs) I don't don't know how it sounds to you in today's culture to think of someone who's been married five times. If if you've been married five times, then your friends might start to wonder, hmm, that's like, maybe you need to work on your relationship skills. Uh, This is a, a radically broken situation. This is a radically scandalous situation. A divorce, is, divorce is not okay. It means that she has been cast aside by five men, and now she's living with another man. This is, this is someone who has um, had this desperate desire for love 
and acceptance and tried to find it in men, and it has spectacularly failed in a carnage of broken relationships in which she has been rejected. And Jesus sees it. And he doesn't walk away. And he doesn't condemn her. He continues to move towards her in love and acceptance, even though he sees every single thing. And we are, we are this woman, right? Each, each one of us. Each, each one of us has parts of our own past, our own story, mistakes that we've made, regrets that we have, patterns of life that we wish we could change. Those things that we just hope no one finds out about, the secret addictions of our heart, the relationships that are spectacularly failing in our own lives. Maybe it's that performance in school that everyone else seems to be, they're all stressed out, but they're doing good, and maybe you're not. And you just hope no one finds out that you don't belong. Maybe it's just the loneliness that we feel. Everyone seems to have their people and have their place, and we don't. What's wrong with me? Jesus sees it. He sees all of it, and he's not going anywhere. He doesn't push us away. He doesn't walk away. He stays. He reaches out. He invites us into his life. The greatest movie of your generation is undoubtedly the Disney classic Frozen. If if you've been here for a couple years, I talk about Frozen fairly regularly because it's incredible. There's uh, the story is of these two princesses of a of a a king called Arendelle. Uh, Anna and Elsa. Anna's the younger. Elsa's the older sister. Anna's the redhead. Elsa's the blonde. If you're trying to remember who's who, and Elsa has this uh, secret. She has these magical powers that from, from birth she can, she can control with her magic uh, wind and snow and ice. She can make things. She can form things. She can do things to the weather. It's, it's, it's this incredibly powerful magic. Uh, and because of an accident that happens with her powers when she's young, she grows up believing that this is not a gift, that this is a curse. She grows up believing that there is something wrong with her. She grows up believing that she is a freak. And her biggest fear is that people will find out that something's wrong with her. And so she hides in her room for her whole life. She wears gloves over her hands, thinking that that's going to hide this cursed, wicked magic inside of her from the world around her. Her sister is knocking at the door every day, but she never, ever comes out. They close down the palace, the castle. They close the gates. No one is allowed in. No one's allowed out. She totally shuts herself away. Because she's so afraid of being discovered for what she really is. And uh, at the beginning of the movie, uh, she becomes of age, the age where she's going to be now crowned the Queen of Arendelle. It's, it's coronation day. Uh, and there's this great song. And Anna, who has no idea because the memory of the magic has been magically erased by the trolls. Okay, spoiler alert. Uh, she is so excited that it's coronation day. She's been waiting for this day because she hasn't been allowed out of the castle like her entire life. And she, she can't believe that there's going to be dancing and music and chocolate fondue and there might be some handsome princes or two uh, that are going to be at this place. She's just, she's so excited. So she's singing this song and we're seeing her and she's dancing around. She's so excited. And then, it, and then we get a shot where it's the, the, the soon-to-be queen, Elsa, the one with the magical powers. And, and uh, Elsa has this one part of the song. It's, it goes like this. Uh, don't let them in. Don't let them see. Be the good girl you always have to be. Conceal 
Don't feel, don't let it show. Make one wrong move and everyone will know. And, and so she's, she's singing this song, okay? It's powerful, it's a little key change thing. But it, it's a really intense part of, the, part of the movie because that's exactly how we live all the time, right? Conceal, don't feel, make one wrong move and everyone will know. And so we hide. We live our life as if we don't want anyone to see the real us. We don't want anyone to see the the cursed part of us, the broken part of us, the weak part of us, the needy part of us. We don't want anyone to know about the mistakes. We don't want anyone to know what happens in secret. We live in fear. One wrong movement. If people find out about this, then I'm done. Then no one will love me. And what I want to tell you tonight is that whatever you are doing to try to hide those things... Whatever you are trying to, trying to do to, to pretend like you don't feel the pain, that Jesus sees you. He sees all the way into the heart of every bit of your brokenness and shame, and he still loves you. It does not deter his love. He just wants a relationship with you. He just wants you to know how much he desires to, to share his life with you. Jesus, in the midst of our shame, he seeks us. And he sees us. And lastly, Jesus satisfies us. And I want to talk now about this, this conversation about water that just doesn't seem to make sense at first. This contrast between normal water and this living water. And I'm going to read these couple of verses starting in verse 10 again to remind us here. This is right after Jesus says to her, give me a drink. And she says, what are you talking about? You're not, allowed, you're not supposed to talk to me. Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him. And he would have given you living water. She doesn't really get it. The woman said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw water with, and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us this well and drank from himself, as did his sons and his livestock. Jesus said to her, Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. That water will become... Will give him, will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come to draw water anymore. She, she doesn't quite understand what is going on. Jesus says, in this, in this image of thirst that we've been talking about, in the midst of our need, of our vulnerability, of our inadequacy, of our mistakes, of our failures, in the midst of your shame, you are actually being invited to partake in something that will leave you completely satisfied. And it's not just like a really, really good sip of water. It's as if the well now becomes inside of you. And so that you have access to water all the time. And it's not actually a well. It's actually a spring. It's a fountain. And that the thing that you most need to quench your thirst, the thing that you most need to heal your pain, the thing that you most need to give you security and love and affection and commitment, all the things that we long for, can actually be inside of you if you will just take it. It is on offer to you in Jesus. And of course, this living water is himself. Jesus is the water. His spirit inside of us is the thing that quenches us. Jesus came to quench our thirst for meaning. Jesus came to quench our inadequacy and our weakness. Jesus came to quench that desire we have to be accepted and loved 
even if we were really known and all the things that are wrong with us, he came to quench that thirst. And what happens when you become a Christian, I imagine not everyone here tonight is a Christian, but when you become a Christian, Jesus gives you this well of life inside of you. He gives you the Holy Spirit, which is God's presence with you. And it's a presence which seeks you and which sees everything and actually gives you life, gives you healing, gives you forgiveness, gives you love. He came to quench your thirst for life. He wants you to have this. The other things that we do to to quench our thirst, the performing, the pretending, the distracting, the amusing, they don't satisfy You have to keep doing them again and again. You need another shot. You need another hit. You need another experience. You need another success, another achievement, another notch on your belt, another bullet point on your resume. It's never enough. With Jesus, you can rest. With Jesus, you can breathe. With Jesus, you can drink deeply of water that actually will satisfy you. And he offers it to us. He says, here you go. He seeks us and sees us in our brokenness. And he offers us life in him. And so what we see in this woman is that when Jesus seeks us and sees us, and when we begin to find our life in him and enjoy that, that satisfaction of drinking from the well of his life, things change radically in our life. <coughs> that we are actually transformed. Think about what happens to this woman. What, what, what happens after this encounter with Jesus? Where does she go? She, she runs back into town. She's so eager to tell other people about this experience that she leaves. She doesn't actually ever get any regular water. And what does she tell them? I met a man who told me everything I ever did. What's she talking about? She's talking about her five husbands. She's talking about her broken sexual relationships. She's talking about her shame and regret and rejection. <clears throat> I met a man who told me all that I ever did. What's the subtext there? He still loved me. He still wanted to know me. He sought me out. He sees me. I think there might be real life in this man. The very thing that was the source of her deepest shame now becomes the the avenue through which she can share the goodness of Jesus. Right before this, Jesus and her have this conversation about worship. Tonight's, tonight's sermon is Jesus gives us a life of, a life of worship. And, and what Jesus tells her is that true worship is worship in spirit and in truth. When, when she finds out that Jesus must be some man of God because he knows all these intimate details about her life, she asks him this weird religious question. Well, you know, we, we the Samaritans, we worship God on this mountain over here, but you guys say you're supposed to worship in Jerusalem. Well, which one is it? Which religion is right? What's the deal with worship? And Jesus, his, his reply is, well, you're asking the wrong question. Worshiping God is not about when you worship him, and it's not about where you worship him. The kind of worshipers he is seeking, he is seeking, he is looking for, he is desiring, are people who worship him in spirit and in truth. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship him in spirit and truth. What does it mean to worship in spirit and truth? It means that in our spirit, in the deepest, most core, most central part of who we are, there is a love for God. And if that love of God takes root there, it it expands into everything. 
that we do. It's a wholehearted, whole life love and adoration for God because of how he has sought us. That, that, that means that if, if you're wondering what being a Christian is all about, it is not about going to the right activities. It's not about saying the right kinds of phrases in, in, in conversations. It's not about being at the right place at the right time and doing the right activities. No, it's about having your whole life shaped in a way that reflects how amazing his love for you is. So if you are feeling like there's a disconnect in your life between what you believe and how you live, if you're feeling like there's an inconsistency in what you say you want to do and the, and the kind of things you find yourself doing in your life, if you find that there's, there's a problem where you say that this is the most important thing in my life, but I spend 99% of my time pursuing things that are something different than that, if you have these cycles of patterns of behavior in your life that you wish you could change because you love God, but you just can't seem to break free, it, it means that the answer to that, the solution to that is not to try harder, it's not to shape up, you need an encounter with Jesus. You need to look up and see him seeking after you. If you are here, he is seeking after you. You need to have the, uh, allow yourself a, a moment of honesty before Jesus. Because he sees to the very heart of everything to honestly come before him as you really are. The, the way that uh, Jean Vanier says it is this, being simply and honestly yourself before Jesus. Because he sees you. He sees you as you really are, and he still loves you. And he actually wants to offer you satisfaction. He wants to quench your thirst. And as that begins to happen, you become a, a person not defined by shame, but by worship by a wholehearted adoration and gratitude for Jesus. And that is actually where real life is. And he offers it to you. Would you pray with me, please? Lord Jesus, thank you for the gift of life that you offer. Thank you that in the midst of the things that cause us shame and pain and hurt, you are seeking after us. You care about us. You want to connect with us. Thank you that you see everything. Lord, I'm so freed by that. There is no hiding from you. But when you see us, you do not point the finger. You open your arms in an embrace of love and acceptance and forgiveness. Lord, help us to please learn how to come before you simply and honestly. Thank you that you came to quench our thirst. To satisfy us with your own presence with us that is sweeter than any other thing that we could, we could chase after. Lord, you are good. Your mercy endures forever. We're grateful that you seek us in this way. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.